Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, welcome, and uh, it's great to be here again at Exchange, and um, I'm going to read now Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. We're going to look at particularly verse 18 in this passage. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, today um, we're going to look at that passage and at Exchange Church, as if you've been with us, uh, if it's the first time, welcome. Um, But we've been going through the Gospel of Luke and Luke's Gospel, like the other Gospel, ends with Jesus uh, being raised from the dead, coming alive. And uh, Luke wrote the account, like the other accounts, to tell everyone that this once crucified Jesus lives in a glorified body in God's presence. So we don't see him physically, but he lives with us in the third person of the Trinity. So, for example, um, we read at the end of Matthew, the, the Great Commission, the very last words Jesus said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, as... Uh, As Brian read in from the end of Luke's gospel, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you. Uh, In John's gospel, we read in John 16, uh, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And of course, in Acts, the very birthday, the beginning of the church, there Peter stands up and preaches uh, that sermon. And he said, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there we have it. Uh, through the scriptures, we're reminded, and through the gospels, we're reminded that the promise God gives is that He would be with us always, and that promise is the significance of His presence with us. God being with us, Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit within you. Uh, the fact is, though, that that's not always seen clearly or understood. And even in many churches today, and for many people, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, is a wide variety, a divergent views about being filled with the Spirit. So we move on from what Luke, in his two-part work, uh, first of all his Gospel and then Acts, and uh, how the Holy Spirit is poured out. And here we're commanded in Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit. So this morning I want to look at that Uh, and for those that uh, like to understand where we're going, I've got three headings. Firstly, about the command. Why is this so important? Why is it commanded? Uh, Secondly, what characterises being filled with the Spirit? What's it really mean to be filled with the Spirit? And thirdly, how can you cultivate uh, being filled with the Spirit? How does it happen? 
So three C's, the command, uh, that is the importance, the characteristics, what's the meaning of it, and to cultivate it. How do we experience it? So firstly, let's think about what this command is about. Why is it important? And again, I have three points here. It's important because it is actually part of the gospel. It is actually uh, understanding the gospel. Now, the world, that is our society that we live in, have many ideas about Christians and Christianity. Uh, Some people think that Christians are a bit like crazy people. They're a bit loony. They're a bit off the planet. They're they're living this high uh, sort of uh, life, as it were, very emotional, very emotive. They dance around and clap and do all sorts of funny things. And other people think that Christians are a little bit out of touch. They live in the past. They have their traditions and their, their rituals and they all seem like fairly meaningless today. And people just don't understand the gospel. And for some, even for me to say that it's part of the gospel, that might be strange to them. But part of the problem is that we use certain language, certain uh, words that people don't really understand. And part of the problem is that we don't explain it very well, even partially. And so a good question is, what is the gospel? A very good question, in fact. And of course, uh, I love Jim's little explanation that Jesus, it's, uh, Christ is not the surname. Well, the same, similar thing, the word gospel has a couple of different meanings. One, we say gospel with a capital G, which refers to the gospel as a sort of literature There's poetry and there's gospel sort of literature. It's salvation history. And so we have the gospel of Luke or the gospel of John. But the gospel is like the teaching or the announcement. uh, And it's more than just the announcement. It's the action of God to bring about us, to draw us to God. And, of course, again, Christians are... uh, prone to sort of put into a a summary sort of statement. We like these three-word sort of jingles uh, or or slogans. Jesus lives and Jesus saves and it's all about Jesus or the gospel is everything. But the real challenge is to understand it. And of course, we go back to the scripture and it has more than three words to explain it. A great explanation is in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 to 10. Let me read that to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There you have it, the truth as revealed in God's word, that there's a two-action dynamic going on. God's acted to save and independent of anyone. He sent Jesus into the world and Jesus saves and he is worthy to save us. Jesus needed to come because we're unworthy. We're unable to save ourselves. And so it starts off by grace, you have been saved through faith. Nothing you do at all. It's all of his action. God's love and mercy are poured out. But we don't stop there. It's, it's, it can't be told without talking about the fact that we're unworthy and the fact that we need to respond to that. And so the, those verses, it says we, that we walk in good works. 
It's something we do. The gospel is all about what God has done through Christ for us and Christ works in us to do good works. And so you see that there's a two-part um, dynamic. The gospel must be believed as we're talking about the doctrine or the teaching and we need to accept that teaching and then the gospel must be lived out. It's displaying the truth in our lives. Teaching, doctrine and practice, they go together. Christianity is more than just an intellectual belief. It's a whole life experience. And so part of that is being filled with the spirit because God works in us to do these good works, you see. It's part of the gospel of grace. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you know, you don't really understand Nicodemus. You're Israel's teacher and you should know these things. You must count yourself unworthy and God needs to give you a new heart. In other words, you must be born again. And uh, that's part of the problem is that uh, people uh, don't understand that. And even today, you know, even in exchange, might I say, that sometimes I, I get that impression we don't understand everything about the gospel. Um, you know, often Christians talk about the end of being with God in heaven. But that isn't the complete gospel, is it? Because God is with us always, body and spirit. And what you read between Genesis and Revelation is that God created us. Uh, as, as beings to live in relationship with God, with bodies and spirits. And, and if you remember the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus came among the disciples and, and they were afraid. They, and Jesus said to them, you know, does a ghost have bones and flesh? No. He says, do you have anything to eat? And they, they gave him a piece of fish and he ate it before them to show that here was Jesus in a resurrected body, a spiritual body. And he ate it. And so in Ephesians, it talks about you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we all acquire possession of it for the praise of his glory. You see, the gospel is, needs to be fully understood that there is a future redemption, a future glory, not one of disembodied consciousness. Uh, we'll have new bodies in a new heavens and a new earth. And he's going to redeem matter and spirit. Doctrine and practice go together. Body and spirit go together. The gospel of good doctrine without practice is not the gospel, or the gospel about practice without sound doctrine is not the gospel. So being spirit-filled is part of the gospel, and it's very important we understand that. But it's also important, secondly, as... as uh, as bringing together the church. And now some of you may be listening here today who are still not sure where they're at. They're not sure about accepting the gospel or what you believe. Um, you're still seeking to know. And others of us may be Christians for a long time, uh, but you will say, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. And still others may be new Christians, may be part of the church, but come with a very great keenness to learn and wanting to do things and wanting to learn more things. No matter which group you're in, it's not going to help us if we have a debate on who's filled with the Spirit or who's not. Uh, 
you know, people might say, oh, that person needs to be spirit-filled or that church is spirit-filled or do you attend a church that's spirit-filled? It's important, yes, a, a, a very important fact that God fills us with his spirit. We must not focus on ourselves, but we must focus on what God is, who God is and what God's doing. It's a gift from God. That's it. There's no sort of levels of giftedness or levels of filling. Uh, There's no more important people in exchange. We're all uh, being given the spirit and therefore we all need to allow the spirit to work in us. And if the focus is on us, then it becomes us and them, who has and who has not. And it causes people to think that spirit filling is achieved and not received. So we must have clarity on the teaching. It's essential for living the Christian life. It's essential for, for unity in the church. Very, very important matter. And Paul goes into the teaching of how we to live it out, uh, following on from that passage in Ephesians 5, to go on to talk about how we uh, live it out in our marriages and in our families and, and at work and with relationship to our employers and, and the whole of life, really. And, and so the implication is unless you're filled with the Spirit, you can't really uh, operate properly in, in a number of these areas. So it's, it's a great danger, I think, for Christians to become polarised about it. But thirdly, the importance of it is that spirit, being Spirit-filled is very important for our reaching out to other people. And uh, it's so important. You know, Jesus gave that great commission uh, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, of all tribes. And uh, many people hear of Jesus. Uh, many people look at a church on a corner and know that there are Christians somewhere around. Uh, they hear something at Christmas and Easter. But many people in our society today find it difficult to see that Jesus has any relevance to, to their lives today, that this person seems to be buried 2,000 years ago and it has no relevance to, to them in their life. But just imagine if Jesus was here now, here and now, like he was like the Prime Minister or the Queen or someone very, very important, and perhaps they would sit up and notice if that very important person walked into the same room and wanted an audience with them. Well, that is in fact what happens or should happen today, that Jesus does walk into the room. Christians are his ambassadors, his witnesses, with the spirit, the spirit of Jesus working in them. And Jesus can in fact walk into the room. And we do walk into a room of strangers and we can bring in, as Paul puts it, the fragrance of Christ. Our culture, the way uh, our world wants to th us to think is we, we just think about life in terms of physical or emotional or mental needs. It doesn't look at the spiritual needs. But there's a wonderful little verse in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament uh, reminding us that everybody has a hunger to understand themselves, their spiritual nature. And it says everything is beautiful in its time. We recognise the beauty in, around us, in people, in the creation. But God has put eternity in the hearts of men. 
God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And so it's vital, vitally important that we keep ourselves focused on reaching others. That's why it's important to understand the Spirit uh, filling people, being filled with the Spirit. It's vitally important to have that mission focus. I've been reading a book lately um, called The Heavenly Man. You might have heard of it by um, Brother Jung. It's a great story of his conversion and of his witness as a Chinese man and how revival swept through thousands, millions of people in China. And he comments on revival as it might, it could occur in the West um, if people, for people to have a heart change for God. I want to read you a little bit of what he says here. The first thing needed for revival to return to your churches is the word of the Lord. God's word is missing, sure. There are many preachers and thousands of tapes and videos of Bible teaching, but so little contains the sharp truth of God's word. It's the truth that will set you free. Not only is knowledge of God's word missing, but obedience to that word. There's not much action taking place. When revival came to believers in China, the result was thousands of evangelists being sent out to all corners of the nation, carrying fire from the altar of God with them. When God moves in the West, it seems you want to stop and enjoy his presence and blessings too long and build an altar to your experiences. You can never really know the scriptures until you're willing to be changed by them. All genuine revivals of the Lord result in believers responding with action and soul winning. When God truly moves in your heart, you cannot remain silent. There'll be a fire in your bones, like Jeremiah who said, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. It's only when we step out in obedience and share the gospel with people that we come to know God's blessing in every area of our lives. That is why the Apostle Paul wrote to Philemon, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. I've seen people in Western churches worshipping as if they're already in heaven and someone invariably brings a comforting message like, my children, I love you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. I'm not opposed to such words. But why is it that nobody seems to hear a word from the Lord like, my child, I want to send you to the slums of Asia or to the darkness of Africa to be my messenger to people dying in their sin. Jesus calls Christians, doesn't he, wherever they are, to go and make disciples of every tribe, language and nation. And it can only happen, as Brother Jung says, stepping out in obedience and sharing the gospel with people. And so there are good reasons why this is so important. But let me look at what characterises being filled with the Spirit. And in verse 18 is a key text. And uh, what does it look like uh, to have being Spirit-filled? What, is, what is it characterised? Well, firstly, I want to say it's a life-controlled uh, and a life of awareness and secondly, it's a life that shines. And thirdly, it's a life that continues to change and become more like Jesus. Firstly, Paul gives a negative. Do not get drunk with wine, which is, um, which is being out of control. Uh, he gives a what not to do before he gives to do. It's like uh, parents with their children. Don't do this, uh, but rather do that. Um, so likewise, Paul says, don't get drunk 
with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So we learn that the general characteristic here is that the life of being filled with the Spirit is one of tremendous control and awareness. Debauchery is an old word that we might not hear much these days, um, but it means riotous living, living that's out of control, reckless living, wasted time, dissipated life. And uh, we heard from Stephen a couple of weeks ago the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, it's the same word used there in Luke 15. You remember what it, it said about when he, he got his inheritance and he went off to a far land and he squandered his property in debauchery or reckless living. And therefore the spirit-filled life means a life of tremendous control <coughs> and awareness. And we're often awed by the skill of people who uh, go into training, you know, people like Ash Barty, who wins the Wimbledon Tennis <coughs> Championship, or we'll be watching the Olympic swimmers hoping they win. And we all know it takes tremendous discipline, a lot of training over days and weeks and months, and perhaps years, a commitment to stay the course and to be controlled and to keep training. And how do you know a person reaches that point where they'll be able to win? You see, you see it, it is a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, mentally, emotionally. It does take control and awareness of oneself and one's strengths and one's weaknesses. But in comparison to getting drunk, being drunk, um, Paul introduces this. I don't think it's random. Do you remember Acts chapter 2? Remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? Uh, the Spirit fell on the disciples and they began to speak uh, the word of God. They began to talk about God and his wonders. They began to share the gospel and they did it with a boldness and with a courage and with a joy and with a fluency. And it so impressed the crowd and the onlookers that some of them said, what did they say? Do you remember? Uh, when they became filled with the Spirit, they were watching and they say, oh, these people, uh, they're drunk. These guys are drunk, they're so brave and they're so happy. And the only time they ever saw people so happy and so brave is when they were drunk. So that's what they concluded. And um, we understand what happens when people get too much alcohol in them. That that's, uh, what happens is it presses all your inhibitions, uh, the things that you're afraid of. They sort of melt away and therefore there's a braveness and, and a happiness that it isn't there if you're sober. And the same similarity comes with the filling of the Spirit. You know, I remember my, my father had three brothers. The oldest was Uncle Frank that lived in Frankston. And uh, <clears throat> there was, sometimes we'd go down there from, we lived in Bendigo, go down there for some sort of birthday celebration or something. And Uncle Frank, he liked his beer. He, he had this stick and he had all these bottle tops uh, nailed to it. It was sort of like a tambourine. He used to dance around with his stick all the time as if uh, life was just one big party. I don't know how many beers he had to get that way, but you could see that he was soaked he, uh, um, and the alcohol had control of him. It affected him. And that's what drunk means. It means you're soaked, you're dominated. And it's not about how much you drink. You know, some people can only drink two glasses and they get soaked. Um, but other people take a bit more. It's not about how much you have, but how much the 
alcohol has control of you. And we know from all the clinicians, all the experts, all the medical health people that alcohol is a depressant. It depresses certain parts of the brain. It impairs your sense of surroundings. It slurs your speech. It it gives you unsteady movement. It disturbs your perceptions. And, um, uh, you know, we might think that there are many other things in in the world today that people use to, to in the same way, the drugs and the mind-altering substances and experiences. They all take you away from the reality, the reality that God is present. And so Paul is saying, don't seek those things. As you know, your ability to see reality is taken away. It wipes you out. It makes it harder to see the truth. And people, sadly, people desire to get that way. They want to go to the party. They want to get a little bit of alcohol in them. So they get that way. So they can lose their inhibitions and forget all their troubles and worries. And as Christians, we can be drawn into that too. But, you know, being filled with the Spirit also gives us this joy, but not losing a sense of reality, uh, not calming us and numbing us and, and dulling us. But in fact, here's the second point. Be filled with the Spirit. It actually helps it increase our understanding of reality. And I think this is the important point as well, that there's a contrast, the negative and then the positive. A spirit-filled life, and this is the way I put it, is a life that shines, a life that blazes out in glorious light. I can't think of a better way to put it. In fact, the, the scriptures put it this way in, in a lot of places. It means to grasp more of reality not less like being drunk. It makes you shine in the midst of, despite all the troubles and hardships and anguish. And so um, you only have to read the previous verses uh, in chapter 5. Let me read them. For at one time you are in darkness, but now you're in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. For it's shameful to think of the things they do in secret, that is, the unfruitful works. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's a wonderful metaphor. There are many different metaphors in Scripture, but light is used in a number of places all through Scripture. And we think about light, it does several things. It dispels the darkness and it makes you alert. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've been in the dark and you've been asleep, and all of a sudden the sun starts shining, it wakes you up. <laughs> it wakes you to the opportunity to do God's will, to do good and right and true. It makes something visible that other people don't see as visible. I've often uh, said to people uh, that one of the highlights of my uh, little um, short overseas uh, trip, a mission trip, uh, was when I spoke to a number of young people in Bangladesh. But um, it's a nice story, but to appreciate the story, and I'm trying to illustrate this point about light, 
you really need to know the backstory. And I'm going to tell you the backstory now. Uh, and, and, and it shows you how the spirit can work. Now, countries like Bangladesh have some nasty bugs, among other things, in the water. And uh, if you get it in your tummy, it gives you the runs. Now, I was going along pretty well of a four-and-a-half-week mission, uh, two weeks in. Um, I was going along pretty well. I had no problem. But the night before we were going to get on the bus to go up country, uh, I must have got a little bit of their water in my stomach because I got pretty sick, maybe from just cleaning my teeth. It doesn't take much. And so I was vomiting and sitting on the toilet a lot all through the night. You'd think there comes a time when that has to stop after you've got rid of your breakfast and lunch and tea. Uh, there's not any more to give. <laughs> but uh, somehow um, the messages uh, from the brain don't, uh, don't count with those involuntary movements. So every 15 to 30 minutes, I was thankfully the toilet was near the bed. I was in pain and agony as my body was trying to get rid of this bug. And it was exhausting, let me tell you. And added to my woes now, um, not many people know this, but I packed two sorts of pills just to help me on my mission trip. Uh, one was uh, just a sedative, just uh, in case uh, I needed to get some sleep after drinking some coffee or uh, eating a lot of the curry and um, chilies or and the other was uh, a painkiller well I was confident that night because I was in a bit of pain that I'd taken uh, the painkiller but in fact <laughs> as I learned later I'd actually taken the sedative so here I was uh, not only lacking sleep but wanting to go to sleep <laughs> and the morning had arrived and the trained nurse who was part of the mission team came along and said Rob do you want any um, any painkillers I said no I'm right I'm pretty good I've been taking the painkillers well I hadn't really but so anyway added to this Julie was telling me uh, some days before that perhaps I should leave Bangladesh and come back home Home because my, because I was power of attorney for my parents and my dad was in hospital in a critical ill state and uh, who knows what could happen. It was a very challenging and difficult time for me, and the only place I could go was to God in prayer. And so then the team got on the bus for a, for a six or seven hour trip up the country. And buses don't go very fast. Let me tell you, in Bangladesh, they're doing 60k um, per hour is sort of the typical speed or less, and the roads are narrow and bumpy and sometimes congested. And it's hard to describe the feeling on that bus before I was going there. Um, uh, if, if you get in the back seat of a car and you look down all the time and you're going around a windy road up a hill, you get this motion sickness. Well, it was sort of like this... Um, but it was motion sickness of a different kind. And I was trying, I was thinking very hard um, that what am I going to do if I want to go to the toilet? It's very hard to stop and very hard to find a toilet in Bangladesh. And uh, so for four or five hours, I sat very quietly on this bus, not talking, which is sort of unusual for me, very quietly on this bus, hoping my internals were controlled. And thankfully they were. It was a great test. It was a great test. That was the backstory. I was physically, emotionally, mentally challenged. Uh, and 
But thankfully the bus stopped at this place to change buses. We were there for about an hour. And I looked over and, and, and we saw some boys uh, playing cricket uh, or attempting to play cricket. And as I was feeling just a little bit better getting out in the fresh air, I and a few others wandered over to just join in, just help um, have some fun. Uh, and we Australians, we know a little bit about cricket. So um, we enjoy the game with the Bangladeshi boys, even though we couldn't speak their language. And then someone said after about 20 minutes, come on, Rob, tell them a story. So I did. I told them a story that I'd been practising for some months before, the Bible story um, about how uh, God had told 700 years before. The Christmas story started 700 years before with Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 7 and 9 and 52 and 53 that, that people weren't listening to God. So God gave this sign, a virgin will be with child. And it started with a baby and it ended with a cross, the injustice of a man dying so that you could be healed. And, and someone took uh, a photo of me, or several photos of me, uh, telling that story with a, a group of young people crowded around and their fathers listening. <clears throat> and when I look at that photo, there was nothing about me that was shining. All I could, I, I could say that it wasn't me um, that was shining, but rather Jesus was shining in telling that story, telling those strangers, not in my language, in another tongue. And the Holy Spirit was working. Only God knows the outcome. But it was a highlight. What about you? What about your friends and acquaintances? Do you think that you could shine before them, shine the light of the truth about Jesus? For that is a characteristic that is being filled with the Spirit, that we shine. You are lights of the world, says Jesus. A city on a hill can't be hid. If you light a lamp in a, in, a, in a dark room, you put it up so it shines out. That's what you've got to do. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father as in heaven. And so we have the control, the, the awareness. Don't get drunk. And the shining, be filled with the Spirit. But also, verse 18 tells us that this should go on. This should be a continuing thing, to be filled with the Spirit. You see, that, that uh, word is be filled. It's not that we act, but we allow the Spirit to fill us. Um, Perhaps someone can be continually drunk and, and perhaps they, they get drunk and they sober up and they get drunk again. But with this fullness of the Spirit, there's an ongoing present progression. And that's an important aspect of being filled. It's like, as someone described, it's like a floodlight. A floodlight displays the beauty of a building. And it's not that you add extra power, electricity, or it's not that your bucket's half full and you've got to, you've got to fill it up with a few more litres of water or something. But the spirit continues to light up the building. It doesn't matter if a few insects buzz past. It continues to flood the light out and, uh, and all the dark crevices and all the dark corners are gone. 
And you might not notice the light, but you do notice the building. And you admire it. That's, we're admiring the beauty of Christ as, 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 as the word floods through us, as the spirit works in us. And uh, your worries and your pains are insignificant to the fact that God is working in us, the glory of God shining in us. And so we should stop worrying about all this other stuff that goes on around us and allow God to do that. You know, I have um, three sons and one daughter. I get to see most of them except one son who now has been living in Cairns for a year and a half. And we talk to him occasionally on the phone. And uh, just occasionally, it's, it's, it's just a wonderful thing that he says, I love you. And we tell him the same thing again. We love him, even though we don't see him or we've seen him recently. But the truth is, he's no less a child or more a child than the other three. We are no less his parents or more his parents than the others. But right then in that exchange, there's, there's a joy, there's a heightened appreciation that he's our son and we love him and he loves us. And we are filled with joy in that just that little exchange. doesn't change the fact that he's, he's our son, but we are filled with joy and thankfulness. And so being filled with the, the Spirit is important for reasons. It's part of the gospel. It's essential for the church. And the world needs to know of God's presence and God's power. Now, I'm running out of time, and um, I, I haven't really got to the third point. How can a person recognize if there's fullness of the Spirit to cultivate the Spirit's life? It's the same sort of thing. We, we cannot fill ourselves, we need to be filled. But it's a bit like, I say cultivate, it's like a crop or a garden. You know, you can't make the plant grow, but we can provide the conditions for growth. Allow yourself to be filled. It requires control and awareness. Uh, we need to weed out the weeds. We need to uh, um, make the conditions right. And so in the scriptures, we have these things we have these words say, don't grieve the spirit in Ephesians 4, uh, 29, 30. Or don't quench the spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5. Or if we look at Galatians, I think it's really talking about don't ignore the spirit. Um, and uh, Galatians 1, 6, Paul writes, I'm astonished that you're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. And then in, in chapter 3, he says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you're now being perfected in the flesh? Are you, are, what are you doing? You see, they'd turn to another gospel. They're ignoring the Spirit. They'd begun in the Spirit, but they think they could become more holy by working to save themselves. And that's the control and the awareness. Get rid of the weeds. Cultivate the Spirit. And then make the soil rich. Acknowledge him in every way or every opportunity. And uh, this is really another sermon, you know, like speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Uh, our musicians uh, would be loving to, to hear how this works, you know. Uh, singing and making melody in your heart to God. Uh, giving thanks to God for everything through Jesus and uh, submitting to one another. Having that humility and service in relation to others. 
And, and we could talk about the fact that there are degrees, you know, how the Spirit is poured out and there are times of anointing and the power of God as he makes himself real to you. Um, but what should be central in all of this is the gospel, is the gospel. I love Jim's point last week when he was referring to forgiveness and he remember those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus' words as they are nailing him to the cross. And we're reminded that we all can fail in various ways. We can displease the Lord. We can grieve the Lord. And sometimes we, we just plainly deny the Lord. But that doesn't diminish the fact that God offers us forgiveness. And he calls us to repent and come to him. And that's the other gift. You know, repent and believe, Peter said on the day of Pentecost something every person needs to have right relationships forgiveness if you would listen to god if you would come and see and forgive be forgiven and jim mentioned that uh, famous quote from c.s lewis in regards to pain god whispers to us in our pleasures god speaks to us in our conscience. god shouts to us in our pain it's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world and we all know about pain some of us have pain, constant pain or intermittent pain. Uh, at different times in our life, we, we suffer pain. Who can escape it? Uh, we can never escape some sort of pain because ultimately we live eventually to die. But if we're asleep to the truth about God, we won't ask the right question. And the right question is, what part or what does God want to show us through these pains? And God, as C.S. Lewis says, uses pain as a megaphone to wake us up, to arouse us to the urgency of growing in holiness, to the fact that he is present and available to us. And he's searching for us like that lost uh, sheep. <clears throat> he's searching us for us like the father looking out in the horizon for the lost son. And as C.H. As, uh, Spurgeon pointed out, He's like that woman searching for the coin. And what does she do? It's like the Holy Spirit. She lights a lamp to, to shine out and find that coin. And uh, we, we could go on and look at various scriptures of how they point out the gospel to us. How does it work? Well, let, let, me, uh, let me talk about King David. Remember the story of King David? King David was uh, just a shepherd boy uh, who had a real heart for God and lived to please God. And God raised him up to be the king of Israel, raised him up for tremendous conquests and, and, to, uh, and to be a servant of God. And David wrote many of the Psalms and conquered the giants and brought peace to a divided nation. And yet he had his faults and his problems, his failings. They're all seen in the scripture. And what he shows us is how to repent and believe and be controlled and shine. Remember Psalm 51, what he said there? He said, don't hide your face from my sins, but blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David is saying to God desperately, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Why? 
because he was afraid that God would do that. He'd seen that happen with the previous king, King Saul. And now he is pleading, he was praying. The Spirit of God is holy, you see. The, the Spirit of God can't dwell with ongoing sin. So David knew that, and David knew that he, was, he could be easily abandoned by God. And that would end his kingship. That would end his joy and, and the power that he enjoyed. That would finish David as king. And so he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. I deserve to have the Holy Spirit taken from me, but don't take it from me. And guess what? God didn't take it from him. The Holy Spirit stayed with him, even though David had sinned grievously and he deserved abandonment. But there's the sinful David who says that, and centuries later, there's the ultimate David. There's the, the greater David, the descendant of David, the sinless Jesus Christ. The true king says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, don't take the spirit from me. Don't take your face from me. Don't take your presence from me. Don't take it away from me. And what did God do? He did. The sinful David deserved to lose the Holy Spirit the sinless, ultimate, greater David didn't deserve to lose the spirit, but the sinful David kept the spirit of God, whereas the sinless David lost the fullness of the spirit. Why? Because Jesus Christ was standing in our place and he was abandoned. He lost the fullness of the spirit so that you and I could have the fullness of the Spirit. And what do you say to that? You say, look at that, look at that. I praise you, God, our Father, for I have been saved by grace through faith. It's nothing I did, but it's all of what you did. Are you having trouble accepting Christ into your life? It's because you're not accepting his grace. Are you having trouble living a life and doing what God calls you to do, it's because you've forgotten the grace. Are you anxious? Are you afraid? Are you, are you angry? It's because you're forgetting that God is for you and with you. Look at what he did on the cross. Look at the grace until there's joy welling up into you, the joy of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? You have to become a child of God. You have to rely on him and you have to say, Lord, please receive me by grace, not because of me or who I am or what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And then spend time with him. Read his word. Look at what he's teaching you through the scriptures. If he's that glorious, if he's that patient, if he's that kind, what am I worried about? Pray and seek the means of grace and come to Worship with others and, and enjoy those, those disciplines of grace that help us grow in godliness and holiness. We're going to sing a song which is really a prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, fall on me. I hope you can sing it with that joy. <laughs> That's what God wants for you. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for this uh, wonderful truth that uh, you've poured out your spirit. That's a, what, a, what a blessing. We know that we can't grow in holiness without you helping us, but you've given us your spirit. And what a joy it is to know that spirit works in us and helps us. And so, Lord, just uh, for those that are unsure, for those that, are, that don't really understand, Lord, help them work in their hearts and minds. And if, if today is the day when they want to know more, Help them make that commitment, work in them and soften their hearts, we pray. And help those of us who, who still struggle sometimes with, with obeying, still struggle sometimes to understand, give us your grace. Give us more and more of your grace. Come Holy Spirit, fall on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.